Well, we're talking about eternity. And we're talking about living in light of eternity. Last week, I talked to you on a message of why this is important. This week, I'm talking to you about how to live in the realm of eternity, in the light of eternity. And why would we want to talk about that? Well, quite frankly, because everything the Bible refers to you about, everything Jesus has called you into is eternal. It's eternal. It lasts forever. And we're eternal beings. And we're living currently in a temporal world. That's how the Bible describes us. We're eternal beings living in a temporary world. Now, I want to put on here a dot, and this dot represents your life. And uh, in the realm of eternity, this is how your dot will look. Because in the realm of eternity, there's a line that goes far beyond our lives. The longer that line gets, the smaller that dot becomes. And this is what's called an eternal perspective. Right now, your life matters. It's very, very strategic. And how you live right now will determine what eternity will look like. And so we as a church, we want to prepare you for eternity. Not just to make eternity, but to thrive in eternity. And we can do that. Because Jesus calls us to be ready. He calls us to be ready. You know, a month ago I was in Jerusalem and I was looking at that that uh, temple mount that Herod the Great built in Jerusalem. And when Jesus was up on top of that temple mount and the temple was there, his disciples were showing him the different buildings. Matthew 24 talks about this. And Jesus said to them, see these stones? There will not be here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Well, when um, in 1970s, when the when the when Israel came into Jerusalem, there this site was not yet excavated. Uh, only two thirds of that mount was was uh, you know two thirds of that was underground, and so they excavated this area in recent years. And what they came across is this is the bottom of that. They excavated all the way down to the foundation of the Temple Mount, and see those rocks there. That used to be the temple. Uh, when I look there, even look on the right there, those are people. That's how large those rocks are. Some of those rocks were this tall on me. And you think about how without machinery, how the Roman guards, who uh, Roman soldiers who went in and stormed Jerusalem in 70 AD and tore apart that temple and hurled those rocks down to the ground. Those still stand today. Now, just ask you, before this happened... Probably around 34 BC, Jesus said this prophecy that this would happen. In 70 AD, it happened. It happened. I actually touched these stones that used to be the temple. But he didn't just stop there. He said that, look, I'm coming again. The Son of Man, speaking of himself, is going to return. And this is what it's going to look like. And he said later in verse 44 of Matthew 24, he says this. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So you don't know when. Jesus said even even angels, even he didn't know. But only the Father knows when he will return. So live. Live and be ready. Be ready for his return. And I want to talk to you about, for the rest of my message, the four biblical indicators of eternal readiness. Are you ready to... To, for the return of Christ. Now, you know what? Our role as a church is simply to do that. To prepare you to meet Christ. To prepare you to spend eternity 
with Christ. And if we do that, your life here takes on great meaning, value, and purpose. And so that's exactly what we want to do. The first sign of eternal readiness is a decision. It's, it's you have to decide on what you'll do with Christ. It's a personal decision accepting salvation from Christ. Jesus said about himself, he said, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. And this is a big question. Are we born into this world uh, headed towards heaven or are we headed towards hell? Well, we're headed with the wrath of God on us to hell. We all need Jesus and we're called into a decision with Jesus to trust him to save us. In Romans 6, 23, Paul says it this way. He says, the wages of sin is death, but, and it's a really big, but there in scripture, it says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Lord. You see, God has provided a way for us to be forgiven of our sins, to have his wrath moved from us. And it is the person in the work of Jesus. What did Jesus do? He lived a life we couldn't live. He lived a perfect life. Now, some of us can be better than others. And if you compared your life to mine, there would be some areas in your life where you would say, I'm better than Joe. But on the same hand, I could say, and depending on the topic, I could probably be better than you in other areas. Did you realize God never compares you with any other person except Christ? And that's worse off than you think. (laughs) Because, folks, we're a whole lot worse off than we think. But we're far more loved than we could ever imagine. And that's why Jesus came. He came to be the love of God in our lives, who knew the reality about our sin and loved us anyway. And he lived a life we couldn't live. He died on a cross to pay the price for our sin. So that God being the justifier of us, he was was fully righteous when he did that. But he was also fully loving. And when he died on the cross for us, he provided a way back to God. And so by rising on the third day, he secured eternal life for us. So all we have to do is believe and to trust and decide that he will be our salvation. Folks, religions all around the world are based on what you're doing to impress God. And you know what? Biblical Christianity says what's already been done. To bring you back to God. All the religions of the world say, keep trying, keep trying. Someday your good deeds will outweigh your bad deeds and you'll make it in. Biblical Christianity says, stop trying. Start trusting in the only one who can save you. Have you decided what you'll do with Christ? It'll determine your destination. I don't want to scare you. We certainly have talked a lot about heaven here. And we talk about it being a, 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 a total transformation of all things. But ultimately our home. Uh, it, it's our place that, that God, it's going to be all about Christ, but we will also be fully fulfilled and fully satisfied. It won't be boring. It won't be just sitting around. It will be great adventure, great exploration, great discovery, continuing to grow and deepen in our relationship with Christ. But you know what? The Bible also talks about hell. And I'm not going to deny teaching about it because the Bible's pretty clear on it. Our world will want to eradicate uh, not only God, but hell from the context here. But scripture's very clear on it. Hell is a very, very different place than heaven. There's crying and there's wailing and there's gnashing of teeth. It's eternal groaning and unrelenting suffering. 
But hell is a decision to reject God as your salvation. And you will get more of what you want with God or without him. You'll get more of him in heaven if you trust Christ. And you will get more of life without him in hell. And you know what? Our world wants to eradicate the belief in hell. Folks, the Bible is very clear on it. And you know what? I don't want to scare you. And, and this message isn't intended just to scare you. And I've heard people who don't come from a faith perspective, even had a friend recently say to me, oh, hell is just a construct the church has made to scare people to getting in there and giving in the offering and doing all this kind of stuff. And you know what? If getting to church and paying up in an offering and serving in ministry got you to heaven, of course we could do that. But those things don't get you to heaven. It's only Jesus. So we've got to say about hell that it is a reality. You know, you may have heard of a book that heaven's for real and you're going to love it. Well, the Bible says that hell is for real and you're going to hate it. That's the reality. And you know what? I don't like it when people try to scare me into a decision. But you know, if someone loves me, over time I've learned, and I'm 49 years old right now, I've learned to appreciate people will stand and get in my way when I'm about to make a destructive decision. When I'm about to be hurt beyond what I can imagine, I don't mind someone saying, Joe, man, I love you way too much to let this continue to go on. Look at the damage this is doing in your life. See, I've learned to love and appreciate those people. So if you're here and you don't believe in hell and you don't believe in Christ, please understand the motive in which a friend who loves Jesus and has decided to follow Christ operates. They operate because they believe it and they operate because they love you and are concerned about you. So at least understand the motive and understand the motive of salvation. It's to save, to save. Peter talks about um, God doesn't want anyone uh, to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And that right now there's a time of patience. God is being patient as the gospel advances for people to trust him. Folks, I believe for all eternity, we will say God was far more than fair in our lives. So trust Christ. Decide what you'll do with Christ. Secondly, once you have decided to trust Christ, commit. Commit to following Christ. That's the second thing. You know, Paul talks about it in in Philippians chapter 3. He said, our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. You know, we're called not just to get hell insurance, okay? We're called to follow the one who saved us. And if you believe that, if you believe that only Jesus can save you, then you know what? You're called into committing to him. And can I just say what eternity is going to be about? It's going to be all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So don't make that huge disconnect that many people do. I got my ticket out of hell, so I got my visa card of grace. I'm just going to be charging the sins and sins and sins because I'm in, because I'm in. That does not understand a biblical concept of salvation or of sanctification. You living a life that reflects the glory of God in your life. Folks, heaven's going to be all about Jesus. Why don't you make earth all about Jesus in your life? We're called to do that. Our citizenship's no longer this earth. 
Our citizenship is heaven. We're waiting, but we're committing. Look at how Peter talks about your life, what your life should reflect as you wait for that Savior. In speaking of the end times, in 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter says in verse 14, he says, Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Let's talk about those first three things. Be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. You know, we're called to model the character of Christ. Now, folks, we are far from perfect. And you may have heard that Christians are hypocrites. And you know what? All of us fall short of Jesus. But he's still our target. He's still the one who we want to follow. We're far from perfect, but we're following someone who is perfect. And that's the reality. All of us in this room are broken people, but we're following the one who saved us. Paul says in Romans, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that these three things remain. They're eternal. Faith, hope, and love. And we're called to put our faith in Christ, our hope in Christ, and be sourced by our love in Christ. This is our future. And he even talks about a future time when Christ will be wedded to his church. He's the groom. We're the bride. Folks, that's our future to be reunited with our created creator for eternity. Now think about this. Just think about in this world how we handle a wedding. You're a 21-year-old young woman and you're engaged. You met the man of your dreams and you love this guy and you cannot wait to spend the rest of your life with him. You have a ring on your finger and a glow on your face. Folks, we can almost see them if they're seated among us. They're always smiling. They're always looking at flowers and wondering what those flowers in their wedding will look like or the cake and they're planning and anticipation expectation is growing. So when the young investment banker pulls up in his Ferrari convertible with his luxurious black hair. And he pulls up alongside this engaged woman and goes, would you like to go for a date with me in my big luxurious car? What do you say? What do you say? Do you say, sure, I love Ferraris and I love your beautiful luxurious hair. Let's go for a spin. Or do you say, I'm engaged. You know what you say? You go, really? I mean, really? The audacity. I've got a greater future with the guy I love than a guy I don't who just has the flashy car. Folks, it has a value of your future. If your view of the future is to be with Christ, where life is all about him, and you can't wait till that time when sin comes knocking at your door and you have temptation, you're going to go, really? Really? I would sacrifice a future. I would, I would, I would rather court a temporary present sin than I would an eternal hope of, uh, with Christ. Folks, folks, it changes how you live in the present. So commit. Commit to the one who your life for eternity is going to be all about. So we decide about Christ. We commit to following Christ. And then we advance. We advance the gospel. This is a kingdom mission advancing the gospel through our lives. You know, some of the last words of Jesus were of his first importance to the church. In Acts chapter 1, when he gathered after he resurrected, he came together with the disciples 
And they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or season that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in all Samaria and to the end of the earth. Look at that. Jesus is saying to us, be a witness. Don't be worried about times and dates of my return. Don't be worried about when I come. Worry about what you're doing until I come. And, and he calls it, they received it and they shared it. And the world's never been the same because they followed the commands of Jesus to advance the gospel, to be his witnesses wherever God would take them. Sometimes they would travel and share the gospel. Other times they would run for their lives, literally taking only what they could carry. But wherever they landed, because they had Jesus, they shared Jesus with people around them. Matthew shares what he remembered were the final commands of Jesus in Matthew chapter 28. Look at what he says in verses 18 to 20. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you, even with you always to the end of the age. Folks, it talks about this kingdom of God that's coming to earth. And it talks about this world of darkness, this world under Satan's control right now. But you know what? All of creation is under the authority of Jesus right now on heaven and earth. He has authority. And so right now we fight in the resistance and you don't try to take down a government, not that type of resistance. We're like Ephesians six that we fight against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Sounds almost like Star Wars here. But the reality is, is there is a spiritual reality which we are to do battle with. And how do we do that? We advance the gospel. We share the gospel with people who don't know Christ. You make disciples, people who receive the gospel, and then you call them to follow Christ, teaching them to observe everything Christ has called us to. Now, God is at work right now in our world, right now in our church, and he's blessing the advancement of the gospel and he's growing the church as the church shares the gospel. And I would just say this is such a valuable thing in church growth. It's not your willingness to just show up here and be fed, but it would be your willingness to go out there and reach people in your life who don't have Christ in it yet who don't operate from a faith perspective, who don't believe in heaven or hell, but you could come in and you could share the reality through the scriptures and your life. You know what? That's how churches are growing in our world today, not just in the United States, but all around the world. You see, those churches that have turned their back on the person of Christ and shut their Bibles tend to just make their church more about a social cause. And you know what? Especially you 18 to 35-year-olds, you could care less about those. You wouldn't wake up on a Sunday morning or get here on a Saturday night to hear just a good social message. You don't. 
But because we serve a risen Savior, Jesus, who conquered sin and death for us, we show up and we get up and we come and we learn about him and we leave a place like this and we don't just stay the people we are. We trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to transform us and to advance the gospel to us. We're called to do this until he returns. Because the patience, as Peter said, in that last statement in that passage we read, the patience of the Lord right now means salvation. Why? Because we are to be obedient and advance the gospel. So we decide. We commit. We advance. The last thing we do is invest. We invest our lives to an, for an internal investment receiving a reward from God. You know, there's nothing more of an indicator of faith than how people invest their lives for eternity. Jesus said in Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, he says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, Where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I mentioned it. Nothing more shows your eternal readiness in the area of investing than the investment of your time, your energy, and your resources. Real quick. Let's just do a quick experiment. If I could make it so that when you left here, you have a full week off of work or school, whatever you're doing, and that I could work it out with your boss, you'd be fully paid for that week. So I've basically given you a free week of time. Some of you who are visiting are saying, wow, not a bad church so far, okay? (laughs) But if I could do that, if I could do that, how would you spend that extra time? Some of you would say, woo, I could sleep in for a whole week till 12 or 1 in the afternoon. Some of you parents are saying, that's already my son. (laughs) Some of you would go, wow, I can look and view more, more movies or watch more screens. I don't have enough of those in my life. Some of you can say, wow, I can finally reach the level of call of duty that I've been praying for for so many years. Some of you would say, oh, I'll spend some time away from Topeka and kind of decompress. Others of you would go, wow, I got an extra week. I'm going to serve in some capacity outside or inside of my church. I'm going to advance the gospel through my life. Some of you are going to say, wow, I haven't seen that friend. I got a week. I can set up a time with coffee to encourage that friend and encourage them as they're going through a difficult time to hang on to the hand of the Lord. Some of you are saying, wow. I can finally get into the word and and go deeper than I have been in the past. Let's talk about another topic. What if I could give you unlimited confidence for a week? In other words, whatever you fear right now, you wouldn't fear. And I would give you unlimited confidence for a week. What would you do with that unlimited confidence? Some of you would say, I'd go skydiving because I'm always fearful of that, but I'd like adventure. I'll do that. Some of you would say, I'm going to ask her out. I don't have the guts to now, but I will now. And it won't just be through Facebook posts. I'll show up at her house and ask her to go out with me. There will be no texting. I'll show up. Some of you would say, I'm going to go to my boss and I'm going to ask him for a raise. 
Some of you are going to say, I'm going to go tell my neighbor off because they keep letting their dog in my yard. But yet others of you would say, wow, I could share Christ with others. I really fear that now. I don't have the confidence. That's exactly what I would do with that confidence you gave me. Some of you would say I would finally follow God in this area that I've been such a chicken about following because I'm afraid he's going to mess up my life if I ultimately follow him and I'm truthful in an area or I deal with an area that's just eating my lunch. Now, here's the last one. Real quick, if I could make this a, a reverse offering that when you left today, every one of you would get a check for $100,000. Yeah, FBC is a really cool church. <laughs> I would tell you this, as I gave you that hundred, and it would be real, it would be cashed, okay? You could take it. And you left this place, I'll tell you, from the moment you received that check to the time you got into that car, the plan would be made. You would start thinking, this is what I'm going to do with that. Some of you would go, wow, I could pay off my debt. Some of you say, wow, I can buy a new car. Some of you would say, I'm going to go on that vacation. Some of you would say, I'm going to upgrade my home. Some of you would say, I'm going to buy that vacation home. Others of you might say, wow, my kids can go to college debt free. Others of you would say, wow, I'm going to start saving this. I'm going to save this for the futures. Others of you would even say, wow, I... I really want to give this to make an eternal investment in the kingdom of God. Now, let me just ask you real quickly, because as I shared these scenarios, I can, I can bet in each of your, as I shared these options, some of you would go, yeah, that's me. I'm just going to ask you real quickly, where'd you go? Because an investor does so with faith in the future. A consumer does so with sight of the present. So when you take the investment of time or a gift of time or a gift of a certain ability or a gift of actual money, how we're spending those now will determine where we're placing our investment. Jesus says, don't, don't lay up for tre yourself treasures on this earth. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. See, Jesus knows what's operating in our minds to cause us to make decisions on where we're spending our time, our energy, and our resources. And some of God's greatest gifts to you can become some of your greatest gods. And God asks you to keep him first. Matter of fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 19. Verse 29 to 30, he says, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. Let me just clear up a misconception about this passage. Jesus isn't saying if you're married and you have kids and you have a job and you're, you're connected to leave them, to leave them. No, there's far too many other passages that would contradict this. But he knows that some of the greatest gifts he's given you can become some of your greatest gods. 
And so it's far more important for you to keep him preeminent above all these other things. Can I just share with you? I'm a far better husband because I follow Jesus. I I, I know how to love my wife on good days and bad days because God loves me unconditionally. And I'm a much better husband because I follow Jesus. I'm a much better father because I follow my heavenly father. I don't try to live vicariously through my kids and, and have great, great excitement times when they have great high moments and really, really low moments. I've learned to be a father because I followed my heavenly father. I've even learned to be a servant leader in the church because I follow the servant leadership of Jesus. You see, when he's first and he's most significant, guess what happens? All the other relationships in my life are blessed. They're blessed far more than I could ever control or manufacture on my own. And that's why it's important that that whatever I think I'm giving up or compromising on to follow Jesus, I have to realize he has something far, far better for me. Not only in this life, but in the next. A hundredfold. How'd you like to make that investment? A hundredfold payoff. Folks, if that was guaranteed, you'd have no problem making that investment. You know what? It is guaranteed. It's just a matter of our faith. Are we going to trust God on this? Because there's going to be an internal gift exchange in the future. Where Jesus longs right now to say, as he said to the steward in Matthew chapter 25, verse 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, there come a time when everything we do here on this earth is appraised for its eternal worth. And the things that are for just this temporal world, they'll be burned up. And the things that last forever that are for eternity will be rewarded. Not just great job, but but actual here. Share in the joy of your master's happiness. Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 to 15. He says, if anyone builds on the foundation of with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that has that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, what's he saying? He's saying that at the day, at the day that he'll disclose this, that the things that are burned up are the actions and the thoughts and the words that we use here on earth to impress others with our religiosity or our maturity and suppress the glory of God. Jesus talks about it in his teaching in Matthew 6 through 8, where basically you can have the applause of man. People can say you're this outstanding uh, religious person, but your heavenly father sees what you do in secret and you receive no applause from him. These are the things that are burned up, that are actions done in your own power that denied the power of God from working in you. 
There are other things like anything done to discount the work of Christ and highlight your own works. But the things that are rewarded are going to be those times when you obeyed without announcing it to others. When you gave without announcing it on a street corner or having a building named after you. It's about those times when you made sacrifices that no one saw except the eyes of God. That you did behind the scenes instead of in front of the scenes to advance the kingdom of God. There's prayers of faith that will be rewarded where you had a defining moment where you decided to trust God when you feared what it would be like to trust him. Those will be rewarded. There are ministry that's done in weakness, but in the power of God rather than your own. And folks, this is an investment we're called to make now that will have a payoff for eternity. You know, during the Civil War, the Confederacy developed their own currency. And at the beginning of the war, this currency was almost $1 for $1. It was valuable. But you know, as the war kind of waned, and as the future for the Confederacy started to be a reality, that they would be defeated, the value of the currency just imploded and just plummeted. Now, folks... We currently live in a confederacy that has set up its own currency that ultimately will be defeated. And your faith in the future of what God will do in his future promises will determine how you value the current confederate dollars you currently have. Folks, this is all about to be worthless because it's not heaven's currency. And you've been given things money cannot buy to advance the kingdom of God and to make an investment. So what do you do? What if you do if you know that the kingdom and the confederacy you're under is going to be someday defeated? And it may be really soon. What do you do? You take as much of your currency that you possibly can and you invest it into the future kingdom. You try to convert what will be gone or worthless into what will last forever. That's your role to prepare for the, for the coming of Christ. You will never have a time in your future where you go wasn't worth it when you directed your life toward things that last forever. Never. Matter of fact, in a hundred years, if you're in heaven with me, I'd love to have that conversation. You'll go, not worth comparing. Matter of fact, you probably have more of those Schindler list moments where this watch, what could I have done with this watch? And I think God will forgive us for all those things. We won't have eternal regrets. But folks, to enter the joy of our master and to celebrate with him what he was able to do through us will be great glory in heaven. Let's not miss that opportunity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, which sets us free from a broken down, determined world of defeat. We thank you as a church that we have the opportunity right now in your patience because of your grace to decide a personal decision about salvation. I pray you would work in every person's life here. Lord, if they have not made that decision... I pray it would be now. I pray that if they want to decide, they would pray simply 
God, thanks for loving me enough to send Jesus. Thank you for him living a life I could not live, a perfect life, for dying on a cross to pay a price I could not pay, and for rising on the third day. I trust his salvation. Not my works, not what I've done, only what he's already done. I trust that. I pray that you would work in each of us who have been half committed, sitting on a fence, uh, reveling in hell insurance, but basically living like hell on earth. Lord, move in us. Move us to repent from that life so that we would be committed to follow Christ. And when we fail in that, help us to seek his forgiveness and follow him continually. And Lord, for those of us who have been passive with the gospel, may we advance the gospel, join a kingdom mission until you return to be your witnesses, to make disciples and advance your kingdom on earth. And Lord, for those of us who have been consumers, may we be investors. Investors in eternity, a life with you that you will reward. Give us this faith to be the people you call us to be until you return. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.